Hello, and welcome to Tuesday Thanks, presented by Leeds Hospitality Group. I'm your host, Brian Proctor. Join me as we sit down to chat with yet another industry leader. Our guests come from a wide range of professions across the globe. We'll take the time to learn about their journey, where it started, and where they are today. We use this opportunity to allow the guests to thank an individual or individuals that played a key role in their career understand what they learned from the experience and how they have incorporated it into their own development and growth. Gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Not only can it help your mental well-being, it can also improve your physical health. So join us as we share some great stories, thank a lot of wonderful people, and of course, share some laughs. Let's do this. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tuesday's Thanks. I'm excited to be joined today by Jess Conroy, founder and CEO of Roe. As a rapidly evolving prop tech platform, Roe's purpose-built revenue optimization platform drives conversions, increases revenue, and enables real collaboration for the largest asset owners, hotel groups, and property operators that manage over $500 billion in annual revenue. Jess, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. I'm super excited to be here. So for my listener in Topeka, Kansas, Roe is actually spelled R-O-H. Yeah. Um, is, and before we get into anything, does it stand for anything? Yeah, so it was actually inspired by run of house, which is a term we're all familiar with in hospitality. Um, and we loved the opportunity to really kind of play on that term and make it sort of an insider. So those that are kind of in the know will often ask us, oh, does Roe stand for front of house by chance? And it's kind of this, you know, club, if you will, of people really inside the space, which is something that we wanted. You know, I've spent 15 years inside hospitality before building Roe. And so being an insider, I think, is an important part of what we're building and how we think about the industry. Yeah, that's awesome. So, all right. So let's go back to the beginning here, because I'm always fascinated you know, we're 17, we're 18 years old, and we have to pick a university. We kind of have yep. to pick what we wanted to do. As a young guy, I knew I was going into the hotel business from when I was like 12 or 13. Um, so I knew that. You are a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania with, a, I think, a bachelor in economics and Spanish. Mm -hmm. What was your decision process there? What did you want to be when you thought you were going in there? I was always fascinated by business and more behind the scenes business. I think that was always something I was interested in. So I was drawn to Penn, obviously, because they have Wharton, even though I didn't go there for undergrad, but you had the opportunity to take classes there, as well as its proximity to New York City. I grew up in a small Southern California beach town, and I was enamored with the prospect of moving to New York City and building a life and building a career here. And so Penn presented an opportunity where there was still this concept of a very special East Coast iconic college experience, but the proximity to New York City and the ability to have internships and build an entire network there was something that I couldn't have hoped more for. Yeah, which beach town you're from in California, being a California lover here? 
Oh, yeah. Well, it's a little more well-known now, but I grew up in Laguna Beach, California. Oh, I lived in Dana Point. Did you really? Yeah. The, the hotel there, the, what is Monarch it, Fairmont now? Yeah. Monarch Beach. Spent a ton of time there in that park flying kites when I grew up. And then there was a fire when I was little and half the town burned down. And the Monarch, that hotel, housed us all. Oh, really? Yeah. I lived on the seventh pole and I worked in San Clemente with Evolution Hospitality. Okay. And, and we've lived all up and down the coast. So I'm in Connecticut now, which is great, but I miss California. So anyways, I digress yep. as I always do on these things. <laughs> so, okay. You're at, you're at Penn, you graduate. What's yep. the first gig you get right from Penn? Yep. So I started working for a serial entrepreneur and one of the people that's probably been most influential on my professional career. And that is a man by the name of Chris Birch, who is probably most well-known for co-founding Tory Birch. But there's so much more to his story. He started a sweater company when he was in college, you know, built the entire thing, sold it, and then has spent his lifetime investing in other businesses alongside building them. And he used to tell me I was the worst employee he ever had. But I think what he was trying to tell me, what I always laugh about with him now, is that more than anything, I needed to go chase my own dreams. And I probably wasn't meant to be, you know, building for somebody else, but I should go build for myself. But he taught me so much about business and brand building. And it was also my first real exposure to the hospitality industry. One of his closest friends was a man by the name of James McBride, who was the, I think, managing director of the Carlisle Hotel for quite some time in New York City. And James is now the co-founder and partner with Chris of Nihi Group, which they built Niwatu Simba, the hotel over in Bali. So Chris was always really interested in hotels and we used to travel the world investing in other businesses. And so he really exposed me to all the different hotels and what hospitality was. And he also invested in some of them. He was one of the first investors in the Faina as well in Miami. So when you come out of Penn with a degree in economics, mm -hmm. are you thrown into like this great position or do you start at the bottom rung? Oh, you, you start at the bottom. I had to beg and plead for my first job. I think I did 10 different interviews with Chris before I was given an opportunity. And I think also because it was, you know, 2006, which the market was still good. But if you remember 2008 was when everything fell apart and the market started to soften in that regard. And I think in 2006, while things were still up and to the right, it still wasn't, you know, you graduate from a great school and you're just automatically given a job. It's still incredibly competitive, especially as people used to told, tell me if you want to be in New York City. Now, did you have an inkling whether you wanted to go? Because I got to believe coming from Penn, did you want to go the type of boutique firm or larger firm? Because Birch Creative Capital, would that have been like a boutique firm versus going somewhere much larger? It was very small at the time when I was there and it was just, it wasn't even called Birch Creative Capital. I think at the time it was much more of just a hybrid family VC office. And it was one of those things where I 
coming out of Penn was always interested in business. And I used a lot of the relationships I built at Penn and some of the internships I did to meet with people across every industry. I wasn't entirely sure where I wanted to land. And I had someone say to me that you probably aren't as interested in operating a business based on what you seem to be drawn to as you might be sitting on the investment side. And this friend I had made at Penn then introduced me to Chris Birch as he was starting to hire and build a team to focus more on investing in New York City and investing in startups, which at the time, you know, it wasn't, New York City wasn't a huge VC hub the way that it has become over time. And so I will never forget my first meeting with him on Madison Avenue and the 50s, I think, the high 50s. And he started asking me what I wanted to do and what I was interested in and what I had studied at Penn. And he had said to me, yes, you definitely should probably be on the investment side, not on the operating side, but you're super young and you have absolutely no experience, so I'm not going to hire you. And I just kept meeting with him. And I also, like every Penn grad, had interviewed with some, you know, more traditional financial institutions, you know, banks and things like that. But I, for whatever reason, was drawn to the opportunity to have a more intimate experience, if you will, like to have a smaller team, which then gave me exposure to learn so much more. And you get a front seat and you're working incredibly long hours and you're working as hard as you possibly can. But when you're part of a really small team, you see everything and you learn everything. And you hear, I remember sitting, you know, right outside his office and I, you get to hear how he taught, thought about deals and how he evaluated investments and you would see people coming into the office. And that was when I got my first taste of what being an entrepreneur was because people would come into the office every day, pitching investments, talking about what they were doing, everything from hospitality, like Alan Faina, to people building wireless technology, to people looking for investment to buy and build the next great American apparel brand. It was, you saw the entire gamut, but you saw how people thought about business. You saw how entrepreneurs worked. And then on the reverse side, I learned how to think about a business, how to evaluate it, how to really understand what might work and what might not work. Yeah, that's, I mean, realistically, probably in six months, and I don't mean any disrespect to any school, but you probably learned more in six months sitting outside his office, just listening. It was in class. It was the, one of the most incredible experiences of my lifetime. It's one of the experiences I'm most grateful for. And it's that experience is definitely what taught me a lot about what building a business is. And also just the value in building a brand and the fact that a brand matters, which is something for us with Roe, like you were asking about the name. We also, part of what we talk about is everything but the back office can run on Roe. I mean, everything but the outside of the front desk can run on Roe, right? Which is typically a lot of the back office and things like that, but we automate it. And so now we've built this robot character, R-O-H-B-O-T. And you know, he pops up and he can read your contracts for you and build your invoice schedules and make sure you never miss a payment. But there's a brand attachment there. And mm -hmm. that's something that's not always thought of in software. Like you wouldn't think of a lot of software as having a brand presence where you're excited about it. That's not typically something you've thought of in software. And that's something that we definitely think of with Roe. Yeah. So now how many years did you spend at Birch? 
I was there for a, almost four years right before I went to business school. And then, yeah. So my next question is what prompted the move to business school? Was it, you know, something you saw that, or did he fire you because he, you know, he didn't want <laughs> you to work for him or what, what prompted that move? And, and when you went to NYU, did you like just stop working and do the business school all together or a combination of both? Yeah. So I, a couple of years into working with Chris and his incredible team, I had never really done formal business school training. You know, that was one of the things my undergrad was econ and Spanish. So you're still close to, you know, I would argue a more traditional business education, but not, not the same as if you had done Wharton undergrad or you go to business school. And I just, I felt like I was missing something. Like I couldn't walk my way through a set of financials as, as well as I thought I wanted to. And so mm -hmm. for me, it was, okay, let's take a moment here. Let's go to business school. Let's really go deep on all of the, you know, training that I think will help me be a stronger professional inside the investment space or builder if I decide to build my own company. And that was really why I went to business school. I went as a full-time MBA, so I did their two-year full-time program, but I did work along the way to support that experience as well. And part of the reason I stayed at NYU and went to NYU was so that I could stay close to a lot of the network that I had built in New York City already. Okay, so now you finish business school and your next venture, which I think is very cool, can't wait to talk about it, did it come from business school or how, cause now you're, you're, you know, you're going way off the radar here with carrots <laughs> and cake and a wedding site. So how does that all come together? Yeah. So I had no intention of starting a business in business school. I was going to actually go back and work with Chris. That was always what I thought my plan was. I was going to take a summer internship. I did in the investment banking program at NYU, where you got to sit um, during the year at a desk at Citigroup and learn how, you know, investment making worked, because I thought that that was really important and foundation to my career. And I was sitting in a strategy class. This is where I want to thank a professor who probably doesn't realize the impact she had, but this incredible strategy professor, which was one of my favorite classes during my two years at Stern, her name was Sonia Marciano, and she made us do this case study, which was the first time I really started to look at the hospitality industry as a business. And it was the first time that I started to get that feeling that I think a lot of entrepreneurs have where they're like, there's something here that I have to solve and I can't put it away. And I started writing the business plan out of that class for what would then become carrots and cake really with the goal of sort of aggregating the industry and starting to build a platform that wasn't so much about media and advertising, even though that's where we ended up going when you actually look at carrots and cake. But at the moment in time, it was, there is an incredible business here that this industry, and there's an opportunity to build for that industry. And if you think about my experience prior to business school, which was build a brand, learn how an industry works through that brand, and then take that experience to actually build, which I think is something that is so important to me as an entrepreneur and as a founder. I think sometimes it's easy to be on the outside of an industry and to come in and be like, 
hey, I'm going to fix this. I see the problem from the outside. But then oftentimes you miss all the nuances of what you're really trying to accomplish. And so for me with Carrots, it was, let's build this brand. Let's start to aggregate the industry. We grew it to 50,000 businesses, hundreds of millions of monthly impressions and eyeballs. And then when we started to try to monetize it, that's when everything changed. And that is really how we ended up here at Row is that we were building carrots and cake. We were growing that business. There was an incredible community, incredible industry. And there were so many people that embraced us, but we started to try to sell a product under carrots and the montage team, we were talking about Southern California, Alan Firstman. Um, that was a trailer park when I grew up, but the some montage little trailer park Beach, now. Yeah. Some yep. The montage, park. the vision that the Firstman's had, I mean, it's unbelievable. The Montage Laguna Beach, no personal connection, but I had met one of the, one of the founding team members at a, an events conference and told them what I was doing with carrots and cake. And there was an immediate connection because I grew up on Laguna Beach and the hotel was in Laguna Beach. And she invited me out to present what I was doing. And they became our first client, the first buyer of what carrots and cake was selling, which was more of a marketing microsite. And that's when I realized that there was a larger opportunity to build what has now become Row. And so while Alan Firstman probably has no idea who I am or the impact he had on my career, it's one of those moments where working with that montage team and they started to pull back the curtain and show me what they needed and what their opportunities were. That's when the wheels started spinning to what would now become row. And there were other people along the way there too. There is this man named Barry Peterson at Pebble Beach, who similarly would chat with me while I was talking about what I wanted to build and what we were doing. And as I started to mock up software and say, you know, I'm going to build another company. This is what I want it to do. You know, again, another incredible sounding board that always would look at it and give me feedback, you know, based on his own experience inside the industry. And similar to is someone that I can't, that was one of our first clients then at Row, but also while I was, you know, starting to build this business while still building carrots was Lynn Easton and Dean Andrews and Dean Andrews, who was at Orient Express forever, um, was also one of the first people that I would sit there and be like, okay, Dean, here's what I'm going to build. Here's what the software looks like, you know, based on what you know, what do you think? And so we wouldn't be here with Roe if it wasn't for Carrots and Cake. But Carrots and Cake was, you know, 10 years of relationship building in the hospitality industry, getting to work with some of the biggest hotel brands as we sold marketing resources into them. And then using those relationships to understand how we could do more. So I want to go back because yeah, what was the seed? Like, were you looking to get married at that time and said, Oh no, I was, I was painfully single. That's what's so funny. I hadn't even started dating my now husband and what it was is there was this case study. And I think actually it might've been one of my best friends from Penn had just gotten married and I was a bridesmaid in her wedding. And I think it was seeing sort of that spend and then seeing everything happen offline and seeing the fact that there was no 
industry or software or any of that. And then it just felt like when I looked at the landscape, it was kind of wide open for some sort of smarter way to do business, better way to do business, however you want to think about it at that moment in time. And so that was what it was with carrots, but going back to, I didn't want to just go in and build something without knowing the industry. And so that was, how do you build a brand first? It starts to aggregate the industry. This starts to help you build those relationships so that you can actually build based on experience of what they need. Yeah. Cause I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking out loud here and it's like I said, I'm a big fan of the website carrots and cakes. I'm, yeah. I've got, two, I've got two daughters. I'm keeping them away from it because there's nothing I can afford in there. But the, you know, you're, you're an NYU business student and it's like, where does that come from? Like, what was that seed? You know, cause you know, like every good yeah. entrepreneur, you want to say, here's the problem and here's how I want to solve it. Right. That's how you start 90% of your ideas. And for me, it was looking at the industry. I think it was, that was that wedding experience. It was looking at the industry and realizing, and that was, that was really it for me is that you had half a million businesses inside the space. And when you looked at everything else in the landscape, it was so focused on the end consumer at the time where what was interesting to me, and that's what I saw in this business case study that I did is that the core of the industry was the half a million local businesses in it year over year building and being the foundation of this very local, very offline, very decentralized business. And so there was an opportunity there. And it sort of, for me at the time, touched on everything that I was excited about. It touched on hospitality. There was a creative aspect to it. And there was also this just underlying business that you could see that there was something there and it sounds funny but i'm the person that gets excited about oh you can build a better way to invoice you can you know i, I that is what i get excited about right and i think that the industry at the time with carrots it married both those opportunities for me no pun intended yeah well like i said i i think it's a great website you've had a, a long run there right i think you you founded that in what 12. Mm -hmm. and so Fast forward now as we come into row, have yep. you left carrot and cakes behind or are you still so, actively running that in addition to row? Yeah. So I don't personally run it, but carrots is a sub brand of row. So yeah. we still own carrots and cake entirely. And we have a team that runs that. And it's an opportunity for us because there are certain hotels that we will work with where the ability to simultaneously give them access to use carrots and cake is just a tremendous value add while with row we touch 60 to 80 percent of a hotel's revenue weddings are a small subset of that for some of our very large players you know in the event space i was listening to a podcast um that you did talking about the St. Regis in New York City, right? And so for a, a property like that, wedding business is a big piece of their revenue stream. And so being able to offer them something else alongside with the software is just an opportunity for us. It's also how we built all of our relationships. Yeah. So now how does Carrots and Cake kind of start evolving into Row? What, at what point in the maturity of Carrots and Cake 
did you say, hey, I've got now, as I understand, Roe from Rhett, your chief revenue officer, you know, it's a great platform. When did that come to play and how did it kind of evolve into its own company? Yeah. So we started building what is now Roe most likely two years ago, but we actually didn't launch Roe until February of this year. And I say started building it two years ago is we first started building the software under carrots and games. And this is where the next person I have to think is Jonathan Tish of Lowe's, who became our first enterprise client. We started talking to him about what we were building and, and we had the software live. And for whatever reason, they took a chance and believed in what we were building and saw the opportunity there. At the time, it was called Carrots and Cake. And what started to happen was the more of the business we started to touch inside a hotel and the bigger the software became you started to realize that it wasn't just carrots and cake less than 10 percent of the revenue that we touch is related to weddings and so you realize that you needed to build a brand that spoke more to what the software was doing as well as all the different stakeholders that were going to use the software. You know, the aha moment for us, and this person will remain nameless, but we were talking to a very large hotel company. And the CEO, quite frankly, was like, the name blows. Like, I can see what you guys are doing, but there's all this, there's all this brand value and attachment with the name Carrots and Cake. And so then if I think about my finance teams getting excited about wanting to get into software, and I think about my group sales teams, and I think about my back office team, and I think about everyone that could benefit from this software, they're not going to be excited about it with that brand. Makes sense. And it was brilliant advice. And yeah. so then we've, and at the time too, it was also the moment where the first iteration of Roe was really focused on the sales teams inside a hotel. And that was also the moment when we realized that we had this opportunity to be the connector between the sales and the finance teams. And that was, you know, before under carrots and cake, you really had more of just the sales piece of the software. And now you have this full multi-stakeholder software that allows finance teams, sales teams, GMs, operators, asset owners to all collaborate in one place. And that really launched with Row. We yeah. didn't have that before we launched Row. Well, and it, and it does a wonderful job at alleviating any animosity that may exist between the, you know, the credit team pestering the sales team. Where's my money on this account? Where's this? Where's yep. that? And it just seems to me that it just frees up so much time on both the sales manager's ability to just go sell and the finance team to be able to keep track of where everything is and expedite payments and all of those things combined. I've got to believe the finance leaders are saying, poof, I can save X amount of bodies, X amount of hours because yep. of this software. And on the revenue side, if I'm the general manager, well, your goals just got bigger because Roe is taking away 22% of your time that you used to spend chasing clients, et cetera. So it's a brilliant idea. So kudos to you guys. And I was, that's why I was wondering, you know, how long did it take from inception to, all right, you launched in February full, but yep. that's, 
you know, and how were there some other than Lowe's, were there other individual properties that kind of were part of the alpha test or? Yeah. So Easton Porter, who I mentioned, um, Lenny, Cindy, and Andrews, who have been, you know, supporters, I would say from the very beginning of my professional career, their properties were also one of the first users of software and continue to be one of our best partners in that regard. And the other is a woman named Don Gallagher at Crescent and Crescent became our second large um, enterprise client after Lowe's. And similarly to what you just said, as far as the value proposition goes and what it does for their teams, it was one of those things that they were super excited about the opportunity of what Rogue could do and also the standardization that could help create across the portfolio as well. And the visibility it could give, you know, Crescent at the parent level, if you will, if that's the right way to say that. And then the actual on-property teams as well, what it does for them. And it's been incredible to watch their portfolio adopt and grow because one of the things that was so key for us with Roe is to not just build software that only worked for a certain type of property, if you will, and to really build software that could meet a property where it is and sort of plug into and amplify what they're doing and not make them have to rip out certain systems that they might lean on heavily for certain things, but really sort of amplify and allow them to do more with less. Like that's kind of a big philosophy for us, whether the more with less is in regards to do more with less people, which, you know, coming out of COVID, we know how hard it's been to continue to build teams back up to certain levels. And Row allows you to amplify how your team plays. And similarly to the do more with less is the opportunity across a portfolio of properties. Like with Crescent, we have hotels that span full service luxury down to select service that see value in the offering and what it does. Well, and, and it's got, it had to be a challenge at the beginning because, well, I'm sure it's a challenge every day, but <laughs> challenge at the beginning, because all of these, you know, if you look at a Crescent and Dawn's been a past guest on the show and, and she's fantastic. Yeah, she is. And I used to work with her at Starwood days, but you know, all of these, thir these third party management companies all have different systems, right? There's no, you know, yes, they're all on Marriott stuff and yes, they're all on Hilton and stuff, but yep. all the back of house finance ones, you know, ones on NetSuite, probably ones on SAP, ones on, you know, whatever they're, <laughs> they're using and bringing all that together in a company like Crescent, which is always picking up hotels, losing hotels, picking up hotels has to had to be really tough at the beginning to figure out which systems talk to each other. Yeah, definitely. And it's, I think it's an ongoing, to your point, it's an ongoing learning curve for us with Roe. I think that what we see and what we're building towards is a single source of truth, as like we like to call it, which you're already starting to see. But what we always say is imagine a world where you can log into Roe. And it doesn't mean we need to run everything, but you log into Roe and you have visibility across your systems. And there's a piece of that, those that we actually power ourselves. And then you've got your other software pieces that also plug into there. And that's what we're already starting to see some of our properties do, where they're using Row as that source of truth in between some of the back office systems and some of the, you know, front end CRM systems. 
And do you roll up reporting easily or do you still mm -hmm. leave that to the independent systems to do that? Or do you have a great, yeah, I'm sure, I know you're not gonna say you have a bad roll up, but you, you probably have a really good system to roll everything up. We have a great system to roll everything up and we're able to customize it too from a standpoint of, you can see a cross section of the hotels by area VPs or by geography, like however you wanna look at it, we're able to customize that. And the other thing is we're also able to provide data. Um, so operational data, how a particular hotel might be operating compared to a similar comp set. You're not obviously telling, you're anonymizing all of it, but there is something interesting there from a standpoint of letting people sort of see, you know, not just beating their own revenue targets, but like based on what the market's doing, you know, what does our data look like? And then you've also made it much easier for the guest slash client to pay. Yep. Right. Because you're actually using, I know this is weird for us in the hotel business, but you're actually using modern stuff that the hotels, a lot of hotels haven't even adapted to yet. And that, that is uh, one of the things that's most important to us is eliminating friction at checkout. And I think that that's something that you've seen in retail. They call it this concept of cart drop-off. Mm -hmm. But what happens, I think sometimes is other than being able to seamlessly like check out for a hotel room, which we know is an important piece of business, but it's one piece of the revenue at a hotel. If you think about all the friction that exists, like, Essentially, we always say, don't make it so hard for someone to pay you. And that is sometimes when you look at what's happening in other sides of the business, we're making it hard. Like I think about it this way. It's like, you know, when someone, if someone gives me a link to check out and pay for something versus, hey, here's my paper invoice. Can you mail me back a check? Or can you call me with your ACH? Every day you're like, I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to it. And it's not that you don't want to get to it. It's just that someone has made it so hard for me to pay that it's just not easy. Whereas if I can just go and click, it's a lot easier to transact. And that's something that we see is that 85% of payments that are run through row are on time or early, where you're not chasing them at all. And then we have automations in place where you are chasing them. We have almost hundred percent completion rate through row, which is unheard of similar with conversion with contracts, same thing, make it e just make it easy. And that's, I think, one of the things, a trend that you will see with the younger generation is that consumers will make choices based on how easy it is to do something. Yeah, no, And we might not be seeing that play out in hospitality 100% yet, but that is something where you've seen it happen in other industries where it's why you have software automation for the contracting industry and the landscaping industry and all the local industries where it used to be very hard to pay. And what you will see is you will see consumers more likely to engage with someone that has the ability for them to easily check out and transact versus not all things equal. Yeah. Well, and again, I, I keep coming back to the fact that, you know, the salespeople have to love this because it kind of alleviates that aspect, which they hate doing right there. They're not in it to chase clients for deposits and payments and this and that. They're in it, yep. sign the contract, let me move on to my next challenge type of thing. So yeah. I gotta believe you're a big hit in the sales teams. <laughs> One of our longtime team members um, was at the Pierre when it was a Four Seasons back in the day. Mm -hmm. It's where she started her career. And she always tells me the story about her most terrifying moment is when she'd be sitting at her desk 
and someone from credit would come over and ask her the status on something. And she's like, it would, your whole stomach would drop. You would. And so it's like, we are to your point, eliminating all of that. Oh yeah. No, I can, I can remember the days when we would have, you know, the weekly credit meeting and it was just brutal and you could just see how uncomfortable the salespeople were with the whole process. You could see how nasty the credit manager back then. I don't even think there is a credit manager in a hotel anymore, but back then. So listen, I think this is fascinating. I could talk to you all day about it, but you've got a life in probably three other companies that are incubating in that mind of yours. And it is Tuesday after all. So you've, you've thanked a lot of people already. We've got Chris, the uh, professor, I can't pronounce the last name, Marciona. Is that close? Marciana, Professor Marciana. Sonia Marciana. Yep. Some people that don't even know you're thanking them, like the founder <laughs> of Montage. You've got Jonathan Tish, Don Gallagher, good friend of the show. I'm going to give you an opportunity now to thank some more people if you've got some people who are hidden in the back of your mind now. Yeah, there's one more person in hospitality that I also want to thank, and that is Mike Dominguez of Alhi. He's been a huge supporter of what we're building with Roe. And we've also connected over our similar philosophy of the basketball coach of the San Antonio Spurs, who is famous for talking about pounding the rock. And that's really what building a business is and what entrepreneurship is. And that is just continuing to chip away and chip away and chip away. And no one sees when the rock splits. They don't see the hundred knock before it. But I've had a lot of really great conversations with Mike from Alhi, and not only have they inspired what we're building with Roe, but he's also just an overall incredible guy when you want to talk about business. He's pretty special in that regard. Well, and then before gonna, we go, I'm going to cut, go cut you off for a quick second because I want to thank you for that. That was, I didn't, and to my listener in Topeka, Kansas, I didn't know Jess was going to say that, but Jim Perrin, I don't know if you know Jim, Jim works for Mike as his new VP of something or other. And Jim and I go way back to Starwood and Jim has introduced me to Mike and we're trying to schedule Mike to be on the show. So hopefully he's going to he's hear so you great. and see you on the show and then say, well, if Jess was on the show, I have to be on the show. So Mike, you have to get on the show now. So I apologize <laughs> for cutting me in there, but I want to get Mike on the show as well. So that's awesome. So, all right, back I to love you. That. And last but not least, I've got to thank my husband and my son who without their undying support, and their willingness to listen to me on countless Zooms and countless interviews and countless calls all the time wouldn't be here without them. Well, aside from the fact that he's a Rangers fan, he's a hockey fan, so he's <laughs> got to be a great guy. And I love the fact that you're now getting your son into hockey. So, and the reason we know that is we spoke offline. But so listen, this has been fun. I think, again, congrats on Carrots and Cake. I, th I just think that's a home run. The more I learn about Roe, the more I wish it was around when I was a young guy and I was a GM, because I think it would have just helped tremendously uh, across the board. So congrats on that. And I'm going to end like I always do. If it's Tuesday, people, let's get out there and thank some folks. They're going to feel real good getting the thanks and you're going to feel real good giving the thanks. So again, Jess, continued success. You have such a long runway ahead of you. You're so young, so successful. Congrats on everything and, and thanks again for doing the show. Thanks so much, Brian. It was a blast. Hope you enjoyed the show today and thanks so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. If you would like to be a guest on the show so that you can thank someone for their role in your career, please reach out to me via our Tuesday Thanks website 
at www.tuesdaysthanks.com. Remember, a sincere thank you goes a long way to making someone feel appreciated and can make their day. So until next time, be well, be safe, and please don't be afraid to tell someone thanks. Chat soon.